Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Welcome to the Latin American History Podcast, episode 83, The Conquest of the Yucatan, part one. As we have moved around Latin America, telling the stories of how the Spanish brought different parts of the continent into their empire, a pattern of rapid expansion has emerged. Individual conquistadors have died along the way, but often from things like disease, shipwrecks, or their own in fighting. Sometimes they found themselves beaten back by the indigenous people they encountered, or they diverted their focus elsewhere in the face of resistance. But often, this was because they had overstretched themselves and saw better opportunities elsewhere. There have been notable occasions where things have been difficult. The most obvious ones came when they attacked the Aztec and Inca empires. Last episode... We also saw the indigenous people in the Buenos Aires area play a part in the abandonment of that settlement. These, however, are the exceptions, and once conquests were complete, that was usually it. The Neo-Inca states did resist for decades, but they did so from outside, having abandoned their empire and moved to the remote mountains. The Yucatan Peninsula will prove to be different. As the Spanish attempted to incorporate it into their empire, their progress will be slow and hard-fought. Each step forward will be a struggle, and there will be times where they will be forced to take steps backwards instead. When the process was completed, the province will be perhaps the most fractious under their control. There will be simmering resistance and periodic rebellions for centuries. Last time we were in Mesoamerica was the end of the conquest of the Aztec. Cortes had successfully taken control of Tenochtitlan and was expanding out into the rest of the former Aztec Empire. He had taken control of the south of Mexico, today's Oaxaca and Chiapas, as well as part of Guatemala and the rest of Central America. In the north he had conquered the Parepecha, but the deserts which today form roughly the northern third of Mexico were largely outside of his control. While the Spanish had rushed south, all the way to Panama, where they had joined up the land under their control of the already existing colony down there, there was a big patch of land missing, the Yucatan. This had actually been one of the first places in Mesoamerica which the Spanish had seen, being the closest part of the mainland to their colonies on the Caribbean islands, and by extension Spain. In the 1510s, Francisco Hernández de Córdoba made an attempt to conquer the peninsula, but he had failed. Juan de Grijalva had sailed along the northern coast in 1518, before continuing around the Gulf of Mexico, and a year later, Cortes set off to conquer the Aztec, 
On the way up to Veracruz, he stopped in the Yucatan and found Jeronimo de Aguila and Gonzalo Guerrero shipwrecked there and living among the Maya. By making Veracruz his base on the coast and focusing on the Aztec, he bypassed the Yucatan and it was left to deal with later. As time went on, the peninsula was encircled by Spanish colonies and later had become now. Together with today's Guatemalan province of Petén, which neighbours it, was and is culturally Maya like the Yucatan, and has the same humid lowland geography. The Yucatan formed a huge piece of land which sat between two of the most important colonies in the empire. With its position and the abundance of ambitious Spanish conquistadors floating around, there was no way that it was going to remain unbothered for long. When it did start, the conquest of the Yucatan was very much a family affair. Confusingly, it was largely conducted by three closely related men, all of whom have the same name, Francisco de Montejo. I use this name to refer to the oldest one, the original leader of the expedition. I will call his son the younger, and then the third one, a nephew of Francisco, for his sister, and therefore a cousin of the younger, he will be called the nephew. The oldest Montejo was a minor noble from Salamanca. Before getting his commission to go out on his own into the Yucatan, he had spent many years in the Spanish Americas, and his career to date reads like a list of people who we have encountered on previous episodes. He was recruited in Spain by Davila to help out in his Panama colony, and he was sent ahead to gather up more soldiers in Santo Domingo. After some time in Panama, Davila sent him south to what was at the time unconquered Colombia, but this expedition appears to have been short and unnoteworthy. After that, he decided that he would have more opportunities elsewhere, and he joined Diego Velázquez de Cuella on his conquests in Cuba. Despite arriving after most of the work had been done, he was still given land there for taking part. This gave him a good income and a higher social standing. Next, he joined Grijalva, and so he got his first sight of the Yucatan coast when they sailed around the peninsula. Apparently, he was the first Spaniard to step off the boat and on to Aztec land. Presumably, Montejo was known to Cortes, because once he had returned to Cuba, Cortes sought him out and asked him if he would put the knowledge he had gained on Grijalva's expedition to use for his planned trip to Mexico. He was made captain of one of the ships and put in command of all the men who travelled on it. Having already sailed up the Gulf of Mexico, he was sent ahead to find a place to establish a base, and so it was Montejo who chose Villarica to be the first Spanish settlement in Mexico. He was made one of its governors, and Cortes clearly trusted him as the jobs kept coming. You might remember from the series on the conquest of Mexico that Velázquez, the man who Francisco had joined in Cuba, had fallen out with Cortes and believed that Cortes was disobeying orders by setting sail after he had withdrawn permission. This dispute came to a head when he sent Narvaez to track Cortes down and the two fought a battle, which Cortes won. Both sides now had to present their side of the story to the king and justify their actions. It was Montejo who Cortes chose for this crucial task. Montejo was successful and Cortes was allowed to retain control of Mexico. This trip back to Spain meant that Montejo missed many of the important events of the conquest, 
but in many ways, his ability to persuade the king was just as important. When he returned, Cortes rewarded him with land in Mexico, on the edge of Tenochtitlan. He was called upon again a few years later to act as an intermediary for Cortes in Spain, and with this done, he decided it was time to advance his own cause. Montejo was a rising star within the Spanish Empire. He had taken part in many different campaigns, and built up a large number of contacts among the most important conquistadors. He didn't seem to have fallen out with any of them, and even potential enemies, such as Narvaez, seemed to like him. It wasn't hard then to persuade the king to let him stake his own claim to the Yucatan. Apparently, Narvaez supported him in his petition to the king. Before leaving, he also married the widow of another conquistador, and then left to take up his position as the governor of the Yucatan. It seems that this new viceroyalty would be completely independent of Mexico. It seems strange to me, considering that the coastline was well charted, including twice by Montejo himself, and that the Spanish had travelled down into Central America, but apparently it was still believed that Yucatan was an island. So this might help explain why it was to become a separate province. In 1526, he sailed across the Atlantic and stopped in Hispaniola to gather up some more men and supplies. Next, he followed the southern coast of Cuba and made for the island of Cozumel, just off the coast of the peninsula, and not too far from where Cancun is today. Cozumel was inhabited by a small Maya state, and the people there had already had a fair amount of contact with the Spanish. Different Spanish groups had passed through on their way to other places, and so they had not tried to conquer the island. When Montejo arrived, relations were friendly enough. Presumably, he would have wanted to come back and take the island eventually, but for now, Montejo was happy enough to use it as a staging post. He sailed across to the mainland after a few days and claimed the spots where he landed for Spain. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Here too, he was able to trade with the local Maya villagers while he decided how to approach the interior. He founded a settlement and named it Salamanca after his hometown. Even if the Maya were friendly enough, there were not very many of them and they only produced enough food to feed their own population. It's worth reminding ourselves that Although they were not far from some of the ruins of the great Maya cities, that age had long passed. They may have still had small populations, but places like Chichen Itza, Tulum and Corba were in ruins even then. At this point, the Maya largely lived in smaller settlements, and no state could effectively control large amounts of land. In some places there were larger polities, but in others, such as here, small caciques ruled collections of villages, and the borders of their states did not extend much beyond them. Whether these Maya were willing to provide food, or if the Spanish tried to force them, they were unable to help out. The Spanish were unable to help themselves either. They had picked a bad spot full of swamps which harboured tropical diseases, 
and which possessed a lack of clean water. Many of the colonists started to die, and their food began to run out. Montajo sent a ship up to Veracruz to buy more supplies, but the captain died there, it's not clear why, and the ship decided to go to Cuba rather than return to Salamanca. Relations broke down with the Maya, and so the risk of attack added to the list of reasons why it was impossible to go out and expand the territory under their control. The Spaniards who survived were confined to Salamanca for two years, but eventually, through perseverance, they managed to stabilise their position. Some of them learnt the local Maya language, and they were able to rebuild relations. The disease started to abate, and they learnt how to better obtain food from the foreign environment. It helped that there were now less mouths to feed. When he was finally ready to continue, Montejo first had to deal with the discontent which their situation had created among his men. Being so close to Cortes, and having been present for part of the conquest of Mexico, he had had the chance to learn from him. When he heard that some of the sailors planned to sail off to Veracruz and abandon the colony, rather than take part in the march he had planned, he had the boat sunk, just like Cortes had done. Montejo decided to go north, along the coast in the hopes of finding another place with a harbour, so that he could relocate Salamanca. As he crossed into the lands of new Maya groups, who he had no existing relationship with, he found that, for the most part, they chose to avoid him, rather than attack, or make friendly contact. Again, they had trouble finding enough food, and soon they were beginning to fall ill. Montejo himself almost died from some sort of disease. When they reached the stretch of coastline opposite Cozumel, they encountered the Maya cacique who ruled the island. Recognising them, he agreed to help out. Not only did he provide them with the food they desperately needed, but he vouched for them with the other caciques there on the mainland. This meant that as they marched north, the Spanish were treated as an interesting curiosity rather than a potential threat. As they reached the area where Cancun is today, the population grew larger and the towns bigger. At the town of Conil, they learned how the Maya obtained much of their water. The Yucatan is studded with cenotes, caves which link to the vast aquifers underneath the peninsula. There aren't many rivers, but there is a large amount of water locked beneath the ground. The cenotes provide access to it. Montejo stayed for two months in Conil, before deciding to march inland. It's quite difficult to accurately understand the exact geopolitics of the Maya people at the time, but it seems that although each small cacique ruled his own settlement group, those in whose land he had passed through so far had some sort of alliance agreement, and collectively the region was known as Ecal. Perhaps it functioned something like the Muisca Confederacy in Colombia. This is probably why the good word of the Cozumel cacique has been worth so much on the mainland. Now, however, Montejo was leaving Ecap. The first town they reached was called Chauaca, and here as before, they were welcomed. Unlike before, however, the friendship given by the ruler of Chauaca was not genuine. Over the course of a few days, the Spanish relaxed, and instead of camping together in one spot, they spread out around the town in smaller groups. One morning they woke up to find the people of Chuaca ready for a massacre. Montejo was unable to put up an organised defence, 
and the isolated groups of Spaniards had to fight for themselves, until eventually they managed to regroup. According to their account, despite the surprise, it was their armour and horses which allowed them to eventually turn the tide of the battle and repel the Maya. The next day the cacique came with an offer of peace, and Montejo accepted it. He moved on to the next large town to the west, Aque. In an apparent sign of friendship, the cacique of Chauaca warned him that the people of Aque were aggressive and would likely attack them. Secretly, however, he sent a message to Aque, saying that the Spanish were on their way to invade, pretty much guaranteeing that there would be a fight when they arrived. Aque was empty, its people preparing to attack the Spanish. Apparently the Chauaca had agreed to send men with them to help carry their supplies, but these men looted the empty city before abandoning the Spanish. The attack came the next morning. The Spanish were able to defend themselves and retain control of Aque. Next they moved on to a town called Loche, where the ruler apparently tolerated their presence, but initially refused to meet with them. When he finally did agree to talk, he is said to have been aloof, and he refused to engage with Montejo when he tried to discuss Christianity and the Spanish king's supposed claim to the region. Montejo decided that it was best not to push it. Water was becoming an issue again, and his numbers were dwindling. He came to the conclusion that he had achieved all he could, and he began the march back to Salamanca. On the way there, he found that twenty men he had left behind in a place called Poli, because they were too ill to carry on, had been killed by the people there, and this just about sums up the whole campaign. Nominally, he thought that he had agreed some sort of sovereignty for himself and Spain in pretty much all the towns he had passed through. This had been achieved either by diplomacy or by force. In truth, however, if any such agreements were made by the Maya caciques, it was just words to them, and they had no intention of paying any attention to them once the Spanish had gone away. Montejo might argue that he had brought much of the northeast of the peninsula under his control, but this was an illusion, and even it had come at a high cost. He could argue to the king, or to anyone else who asked, that he had successfully established a settlement in Salamanca, but in truth it was barely viable. He wrote back to the king and told him that things were going well, but he must have known that they weren't. Instead of staying in Salamanca and trying again to expand from there, he decided to leave the Yucatan and go to Cortez's Mexico colony. Here he spent two years gathering up more supplies and trying to decide what to do. Next time, we will find out what he came up with. If you've enjoyed this episode, or the podcast as a whole, and you're feeling generous, a really helpful thing to do would be to leave a review wherever you get your podcasts from. This helps new people discover the podcast. If you're feeling really, really generous, it's possible to make a small donation, and these help cover the costs of hosting and running the podcast. Information about how to do this can be found in a link in the show notes. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Latin American History Podcast, written and recorded by Max Sargent. For more information, visit the website www.maxargent.com slash the history of Latin America and that's spelt M-A-X-S-E-R-J-E-A-N-T if you have any comments or questions feel free to get in contact 
at historyoflatinamericapodcast at gmail.com. You can also find the Facebook page by searching for the Latin American History Podcast. The Twitter handle is at historylatinam. And if you've liked the show, you can help out by leaving a review on iTunes. Alternatively, if you visit the website, you'll see that each episode is accompanied by relevant photos. Most of these are my own, taken during my time in Latin America. All these photos and more are available to purchase as prints at my Etsy shop. You can find this at www.etsy.com slash photo. That's spelt www.etsy.com slash M-A-X-S-E-R-J-E-A-N-T photo. Thanks for listening. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.